Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mark Fotheringham to my Jan Sievert. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for asking. I really appreciate it. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You could have not sounded more sarcastic <laughs> when you said that. Uh, but I'm good. The thing is, I seem to have been hit down by this cough slash cold slash fever that I, I'm pretty sure the whole of Britain also seems to be suffering with. I had a, an episode a couple of weeks ago, not a podcast episode, a like medical episode and that makes it sound a lot more serious than it actually was mm. i was in bed all day um where i had never felt as bad as i was then and then i thought it had gone but for the last two weeks i've had this not cold but like lingering cough and judging from what people have been saying on social media it seems like a lot of other people are suffering from the same thing wow it sounds a lot like uh sounds a lot like covid well i've done plenty of covid tests and considering <laughs> it's I've had it for at least two weeks now. Yeah. It's that that'd be an extreme case of COVID. But any every LFT I've had that I've I've done has come back negative. So I, I don't know what it is, Justin. Wow, I'm sure many supporters or, or listeners, I should say, are sympathising with you and playing their tiny violins. I know I am. Um, you know, we we all feel sorry for the man who is uh, is well liked on on the social. Yeah, maybe maybe. I can sense your sarcasm still despite my illness. Um, but considering a lot of other people are maybe suffering from the same thing, then maybe they will have sympathy for me. I think it may be, maybe it's COVID-20. Maybe it's uh, not the old, you know, outdated fa- outdated version of coronavirus. Maybe I've got the new version of it and uh, it's just not been picked up by any LFT. Anyway, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to talk about all the games in the championship from the past weekend, as well as some of the news from the past few days, especially the transfer embargo, which has now been implemented on Cardiff City. We'll have a deep dive into that one and then we'll finish off with a little game right at the end. So we'll go around the grounds and we'll kick things off with Middlesbrough who dropped points for the first time in four games onto Michael Carrick after being beaten 3-1 away at Burnley and I tell you what those Clarets they certainly know how to come back from losing positions don't they Justin? It's very very good at it uh, it was a really good performance from Burnley and I think the timing of, of Borough's goal and them getting back into the game just shows um, shows the character of the team I think the only criticism you can aim at at Kupney and his team is they don't um, they don't take advantage of their dominance in the first half of games they've been going into the um, second half of games at nil-nil quite quite often this season um, it's a remarkable stat actually um, but I think there's only th- only criticism you can aim at them at the moment um, because they are flying they're playing with confidence and you know when you're, you're you, you know when you're in good form when the goals that Burnley scored go in um, if that makes sense because I think on any other day uh, perhaps if you're a mid-table team winning losing winning losing the goals that Burnley scored don't go in, if that makes sense. Um, they, they they weren't fortunate, but they were certainly helped by some some poor goalkeeping. But they're a team in confidence. They're a team um, in full flow, and they've got players still to come back into things into into the team, which is absolutely frightening. That yeah, they're so good. They've got such a good mentality in the company. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Manuel Benson had an eventful afternoon. He set up Middlesbrough's goal with a pass, which if he was wearing a red shirt would have been assist of the season. (laughs) But he made uh, more than made up for it by scoring two up the other end. And he struggled to nail down a starting place in this Burnley team. But more often than not, when he is on the pitch, 
he's had an impact, hasn't he? And he is mm-hmm. a really exciting player, isn't he? I, I don't want supporters to get offended by it, but he reminds me a little bit of Tom Ince when Tom Ince was in his prime. Just the way he cuts into on, onto his left foot and he's he can take shots, really angled, um, targeted shots into corners. And Tom Ince was a damn good player at Championship level um, when he was in his when he was in his pomp, which wasn't too long ago. And that's what Benson reminds me of. He has that elegance of just being able to cut in, cut in on his left foot, and no matter how often you know he's going to do it, he's still going to pull something off, which I think is. A testament to his consistency and ability, and 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 just, um, just 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 quickness to just drop his shoulder, um, and, and get it onto his left foot. He's a, he's a really good player, and, he, and he's growing into the season as well. He's showed some good form, but I think he can get better. Yeah, he's managed to pull something out of nothing on so many occasions for Burnley this season. And when you've got a player like that who mm. can go a game where he's gone, you know, sixty minutes or so without doing much, and then just do something out of nothing. That's always thrilling when you're a supporter of that particular player. But I feel like this was one of those games where it would have been a real statement win for whichever team came out as the victor. It would have been a huge scalp for Middlesbrough, obviously, while Burnley would have been halting a team that's been flying recently. And I do think this is a statement win for Burnley. And they're now eight points clear of third place are Burnley, six points clear of Sheffield United, who play on Monday night. It's getting to the point now where I'll be surprised if they don't go up because they're just Mm. blitzing everyone who dares cross them, Justin. Seven wins from eight. And the only team they've dropped points to in that time is Sheffield United, the second best team in the division. And it's at the stage now where they can afford to head into this January transfer window with one eye on the Premier League and think to themselves, we need players who can help us in six months' time, not just to help us get promotion over the line. So they're in a really strong position, aren't they? And as you say, they've still got players to come back into this team as well, which makes this all more frightening for opposition sides who are coming up against Vincent Company's boys in the coming weeks. Uh, Middlesbrough had been flying prior to this, picking up four wins for from five games what can they take away from this loss Justin I think it's just a bit of perspective they've come up against a Burnley team who just know how to win games um, they don't have to be at the best but they just know how to win games and Burnley asserted their dominance which uh, which Borough struggled to to deal with at times um, but that, that being said I think you know, Stefan wasn't exactly a, a busy goalkeeper. I thought Bora defended well. Burnley got into some good areas, but were, were quite wasteful. Uh, Burnley, yeah, Burnley got into some good areas, but they were quite wasteful. Um, which which goes to show that you know they did Burnley uh, Bora did show a good side of their game against Burnley. Um, but I think you just you take the goals into into context a little bit. They were all avoidable. And, you know, Stefan's been done at his near post for the Benson goal, um, the corner. Uh, well, the the the, uh, the cross goal that came in from Benson as well, Stefan could have done something with. And again, the corner, he's, he's been beaten very, or Borough been beaten at the near post very easily, and he's been beaten as well very easily. So the goals were all avoidable. Um, so it's just one of them games where things just aren't going your way. Um, you saw that with the penalty because Ak, uh, Akpom, for as good as he's been, his execution on the penalties was quite poor. He kicked it into the ground. He just couldn't get, um, he just couldn't get the the right connection with it, which you know let him down. Obviously, it was a, it was a weak penalty, but. It just felt like one of those days for Borough, um, but it's one they'll learn from, definitely. I think this game shows that Carrick just needs a bit more to make this team into a real force. For me, this team is a top six side, but they're having to play catch up after their bad start. So they've got to be just a bit more <clears throat> to secure that playoff place, if you see what I mean. There are clear areas 
where they could do with a bit more and particularly looking at striker and holding midfield which is why I'm quite interested that they've been linked with the likes of Roster at Sunderland and Dan Barlasa at Rotherham mm. both would be top quality signings for me I think they could do with a right back and left winger too possibly a goalkeeper because Stefan has he's left me with a few doubts this season he seems a bit eccentric but it's not the end of the world if they don't fill those positions whatever the case it seems almost certain that Middlesbrough will be busy in January and it could have a big say on how comfortable they are in securing a playoff place. I still think they will get there, but it could be a lot easier with a good January transfer window. Uh, final point on this game, and that's Connor Roberts's very oh, strange gosh. sending off. Uh, the ball's <laughs> gone up in the air, hit the bar, but Roberts has had a swing at it with his hand. Doesn't touch it, though, and the ref gives Middlesbrough a penalty and Roberts a red card. Fortunately, doesn't mean much, but a strange incident. Justin, you're looking at me with a gormless look. Not for the first time. Yeah, I mean, it's normal. Uh, is anything different? I was convinced he touched it. I don't know why. I, I saw two replays of it. Um, no, 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 no. He's definitely not uh, touched it. He's hit the top of the bar. But the fact that he's took a swing at it with his hand anyway makes stupid. him look very guilty. So yeah, I, I, I think, okay, I, think right. I think, the suspension will get overturned. But I have no idea why he was uh, trying to, yeah. like pour at it like a cat and a, and a ball. And Blackburn got back to winning ways with a 2-0 win away at Norwich. We've had plenty of doubts over mm. Blackburn's actual quality as a team this season, Justin. But there's one thing there's little doubt over, and that is their ability to hold on to a lead. Every game they've scored first in this season, they've gone on to win. It's a remarkable, uh, a remarkable stat and a remarkable um, indictment to how well they manage games. Um, and I think... That is part and parcel as to why their XG is low is because they, they score and de- they defend leads rather than build upon them. Um, I know they scored twice here, but they scored in the fourth minute and they just settled in. And that, Their game management was brilliant. Um, I know Norwich, you can argue that Norwich were clueless in attack, but as part, well, it's partly down. It's, it's mainly down to Blackburn's discipline and structure defensively. It was a really good away performance. I mean, you're going away on the back of two really poor defeats um, to a team who, if they do click... They can be a frightening, uh, a frightening outfit. Um, you have to be disciplined. You have to be structured. You have to or, uh, be organised in your press. Um, you have to be organised. And Blackburn ticked every single box. It ticked every single box you want in an away game. It's just they need to build upon it and improve going forwards because that's just the only criticism you can level at uh, Thomason is that is his ability to build a team that's exciting. If that makes sense. In complete fairness to them, Norwich weren't exactly cursing the number of chances they missed because they didn't create anything particularly substantial and I think you've got to give Blackburn credit for that and that record does speak for itself doesn't it a 100% record of holding onto a lead after scoring first is damn impressive this game hasn't changed my opinion on whether Blackburn will last near the top six but they deserve credit for the result even if the goal's were more than a bit fortunate, each, the, the pair of them. Uh, but there were huge boos at the end of the game from the Norwich faithful. Five points from a possible 21 in Norwich's last seven home games is a very shoddy record for a side aiming for promotion, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really struggled to find um, a reason to defend Dean Smith. I, I, I'll reiterate, I really like him as a coach, but sometimes a club and a manager just don't fit. Um, and that seems to be the case with Dean Smith and Norwich. Uh, and as you quite rightly said, it's one win in seven at home. They've not recorded back-to-back wins since September. Um, and they're now seven points off the top two. Are they going to be in the contention for top two? I, I feel like if they can bring in a manager who can 
unlock the attacking potential in this team. They could be, and there's still time. There's still a you know not a big enough points gap to to catch up. Um, but it's all down to if buts and maybes and under Dean Smith it's a certainty that they will not be in contention for that um, automatic promotion race like I said he's a good coach but sometimes a manager and a team just don't work and I think it's the case with with Norwich and Smith Yeah the chances of them challenging for the top two are dwindling as the weeks go by aren't they at a very rapid rate and that's why Norwich have got a decision to make over Dean Smith's future Norwich are a club who I associate with being very patient however Sometimes they're possibly too patient for their own good in some cases. There's just no connection there between the dugout and the supporters. And that makes it very difficult for Norwich to succeed because the fan base simply don't believe in this manager. And I struggle to see the positives of holding on to Dean Smith compared to getting rid of him. As far as I'm concerned, the best Norwich can do with him in charge is finishing the playoffs. And if if that did happen, I'd be amazed if they actually Mm. went on to win them. This squad should be going for the top two, and that's clearly not happening as things are. So certainly a decision has to be made over Smith's future. I feel like if they were going to do it, then it would have been during the World Cup break, and it'd be very strange if they made it now, just a couple of weeks afterwards. It got to give a mention for the poor ball boy at this game, <laughs> Thomas Kaminsky and Timo Puki, having a bit of argy-bargy over getting the ball back, and this ball boy is in the wrong place at the wrong time, and is suddenly in the centre of this huge ruckus between all the players. It, it was a, it was quite funny, though. I did see a tweet um, in reply to it on the uh, on our Twitter and said um, he's going to come out with a top-of-the-line vodka yep. uh, spirit range, which I thought was a great tweet. Um, so, yeah, yes, uh, look forward to that. That is in reference to the Swansea ball boy, by the way, mm-hmm. who infamously got kicked by Aidan Hazard all those years ago now and owns one of the biggest vodka brands in the country. Is that right? He's he's done well from it. Well, not from being the kicking, but he's been a success in his own right. He's not successful because he's been kicked by Eden Hazard, but maybe it did uh, did maybe spark it some. Yeah, maybe it sparked something in him. Might uh, try. I that. think he. I think he certainly was helped by having a rather wealthy father. But we'll leave that there. Uh, Jean Pedro Brace <laughs> gave Watford a two 0 win away at Huddersfield. He probably should have had a hat trick, really, but he is excellent in the old Jean Pedro. Yeah, I felt bad when we did our team of the season so far in the World Cup break and we didn't have Jao Pedro in, but I think it was just down to the lack of games he played. But then when you consider his stats, he's just he's just out of this world, isn't he? For me, for me Justin, on, on that, I think the reason is because we know what Jao Pedro is capable of. Yeah. And while you can make an argument over whether he's played as well as other players, in terms of what how good he is compared to how he's played, I feel like there's more to go. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, but I think this game was a nice, um, a nice way of just summarising him because he took his goals so well. That header was just unreal. I don't mm. think, I don't think, uh, you know me, I, I love headers. I don't think they get enough credit. But the fact that he was able to get the lift and direction from it with a header that was behind him um, was just absolutely fantastic and that's from a set piece as well we you know you don't associate flair brazilians with um dominating uh headed goals and that was fantastic um but he's just he's just a player who's he's a match winner isn't he and he was a difference in this game i don't think watford were were amazing but they did what they needed to do to win the game and Jao pedro was center of it he's he's just a different talent he's I, yeah i can't it's really hard to summarize really good players sometimes and Jao pedro is one of those for me, in terms of pure talent, he probably is the best player in the league. Yeah. 
because he's an incredible dribbler. So exciting to watch, but he's a great passer as well. He's got eight goals for the season now. Quick, and as you say, great in the air too. The header against Huddersfield was excellent. And he's got one hell of a leap on him for someone who's quite slight in his build, isn't he? And keep in mind, he's got all this in his locker at the age of 21, which puts us to shame, Justin, at the age of uh, 28. Um, Uh, Well. Well, uh, uh, all I'd say is this has got me thinking he he has got more to give because I saw enough of him in in the Premier League last season to see that the lad is more than capable of holding his own at that kind of level, despite his age. And his potential is absolutely enormous. I will be surprised if there aren't Premier League clubs considering making a bid for him in January. Newcastle were heavily linked in the summer, weren't they? But I hope he stays because I just love watching him do his thing in the championship. At times, he makes these experienced pros look very silly. And we've got to keep in mind, he is still very young. Uh, as, as soon as Watford scored early in the second half, it always seemed like this game was only going one way. Slavon Bilic's side now four points off the top two. Meanwhile, Huddersfield remain rock bottom of the table. Now seven points off safety. Mark Fotheringham said after the game, I need nine wins and two draws. And we're going to get that. And I'll be really proud when I keep this team in the league. Justin, are Huddersfield going to get nine wins and two draws? <laughs> uh, not under Mark Fotheringham, no, and not not with the current set of players, no. It's it's, it's as simple as that. Um, he also said in that press conference they're not going to do any business in January, and you might you might take a pinch of salt with that. But considering he's not been able to get nine wins and two draws in his game so far, he might not have played that many games. But at no point have they ever looked like winning games comfortably um i just can't see it happening it's um he's on another planet uh what he says in his his pre-match press conference and his post-match press conferences are absolutely bizarre you can tell he spent a lot of time with felix magat <laughs> don't need to say any more on that really don't you um i've had a lot of sympathy for mark fotheringham over the past few weeks he, he's coming into a very difficult job in C and the mm. squad is clearly not good enough and he hasn't even had a transfer window to help with that but some of the things he comes out with in the press make me think what on earth are you talking about and this is the latest of that after the game he said we couldn't have been happier with the first half we dominated they didn't have a shot on target until the 53rd minute and apparently he was having a go at the fans near the dugout as well after the game I haven't seen that myself but that's what's been said on Twitter it all sounds a bit Ron Bassett with him at times. And <laughs> while he can't be entirely blamed for the current state no. that Huddersfield are in, he certainly hasn't helped, nor has he helped himself, especially when it comes to endearing himself with the fans. Because I think fans would appreciate a lot of honesty with him if if he was in his current situation. But he does seem to blow a lot of hot air, doesn't he? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really struggling to keep a straight face talking about him, and that's really bad um, because I, you know, I, 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 Huddersfield were so good last season, and I think what it does is it exemplifies the good work that Corbrand did, keeping the fans on board, um, having that squad togetherness as well. It was absolutely, it was a brilliant thing to see, um, and it they just look so far away from that element. Um, it's it's quite scary actually how how far they've how far they've dropped off and fallen. Um, it's a club that's disjointed. It feels broken. Um, the fans, um, 
don't feel associated with the with the club at the moment, and I think that's just quite telling of a um, a really bad legacy from a really poor Premier League spell. Um, even though they did stay up in the first year, so I think it's it's a club that needs a reset, a massive, massive reset. I don't know how that works. I don't know. I don't know what what goes on, but it's crying out for it um, because it's directionless at the minute. Yeah, it really is. West Brom made it five wins on the bounce after beating Rotherham three nil. West Brom, different class here. And we're actually unlucky not to score more here and make this win even more dominant. Yeah, it was, a, a, I wouldn't say a perfect performance, eight, eight or nine out of ten. It was absolutely fantastic. They were creating chance after chance after chance. And we have said that quite a bit about West Brom over the last 18 months. But it, while they were doing it, it never felt convincing. Whereas this, it feels convincing. It feels like they are going to... Um, score they are going to put the ball in the back of the net regularly um, and I think if it wasn't for Victor Janssen being absolutely fantastic as per usual for Rotherham it would have been 5 or 6 nil. Um and that's not a disservice to Rotherham I think they just caught West Brom on a really good day for West Brom um, because everyone was in form if you look at Matt Phillips for example um, there's, there are players you can mention who look like they, they've really picked up under Corbett but Matt Phillips is one I wanted to highlight because for me, he's been such an underwhelming player for the last 18 months and I thought he'd be a player that dominates the championship. But under Corbrand, he's looking like um, he's completely turned it around. Um, same with Carl Bartley as well, but Matt Phillips has been fantastic and he's getting in, he's getting into the team. Um, and then there are the others. There are the others who look even better. It was a really good performance and I don't think you can credit Corbrand enough for turning it around the way house. It's just madness, really. You say it was a... 8 or 9 out of 10 performance Justin I think I'm pushing more towards the 10 and it would take a, it would take one hell of a performance for that but you talk about winning the game comfortably and should have scored more but they restricted Rotherham to just two shots mm. that is a complete performance right there and the turnaround under Corbran has really been remarkable under Steve Bruce they weren't playing terribly but wins looked miles away it was a strange way of describing it but I can't describe it any better unfortunately that's not a problem under Corbrand anymore. They're playing with conviction, heading into games saying, yeah, we're better than these guys. And the confidence is there. And we all know these players are very talented players. It was just, they seem disjointed and lacking confidence. I mean, Jed Wallace is really difficult when he's st- to stop when he's playing as well as this. Tom Rogic has been excellent oh in God, these yeah. last couple of games. Uh, defensively, they've been rock solid and it always helps when you can turn to your bench and bring on the likes of Thomas Asante and Dean Garner, doesn't it? So they're absolutely flying and the way things are going could take some stopping. But you're quite right. Victor Johansson was the only Rotherham player who came out of this with any credit because he kept the score down really not a great performance from Matt Taylor's side, who were mere bystanders here. They've dropped down to 19th with this loss, two points above the bottom three. You've been quite bullish about their chances of staying up this season, Justin. What are you thinking now? I still think there are worse sides than Rotherham. Um, I think, like I said, I, I, it's hard to take too much away from this game from a Rotherham perspective because of how good West Brom were. Sometimes you just catch a team on a really, a really good day, and that was the that was the case here. But they've got they've got a good group, and I think if they can get to January um, in a healthy-ish position, maybe pick up a couple of draws and just go in a bit more sturdier uh, and, and 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 try and find a forward, a striker who can um, who can not necessarily score on a consistent basis, but be more of a threat and I think that will that will pay dividends for Rotherham because they're they are a difficult team to break down they are a difficult side to play against when they are when they're on it but um 
they they probably do need a little bit more to at least stave away from that threat of being dragged into a um, a battle a battle in the bottom three. Um, because as I say, I think they are they are better than some of the teams that are currently down there. For me, the bottom six is shaping up into what I think will be the relegation battle this season. Two points separating Wigan in twenty third to Rotherham in nineteenth. I don't think there's much between the sides that are amongst that group. Wouldn't surprise me to see. One or two others get dragged into it. I mean, Bristol City are only points above, and I wouldn't rule out them getting involved. And I can see a situation arising where this bottom six or seven start to become cut adrift and fight amongst themselves to stay up. So one to keep an eye on. It wouldn't surprise me, actually, if Hull managed to get away from that, because I feel like they're better than where they are in the table, but... Results aren't proving that at the moment, are they? Um, let's move on. A Jimmy Dunn goal gave Neil Critchley a win in his first game as QPR boss. They beat Preston 1-0. What did you think of Rangers' first game with Critchley in charge? I was surprised. Um, I'll be honest with you. I thought this would be a little bit more straightforward for Preston. I knew it would be a tight game, um, but I thought Preston would be able to build upon that um, performance last week. But QPR surprised me because of how... Um, how dangerous and uh, how much of a threat they were in attack. I think it helps that Preston's home home record is so poor and QPR are actually a decent outfit away from home. Um, So perhaps I should have taken that into context when I was predicting the result of this game. But I was really, really pleasantly surprised at how how quickly Critchley's got his ideas across because um, what we we see from Critchley is his ability to create an an organised, solid, structured team um, and they are a threat both in possession and out of possession um, and on the counter-attack and we saw that in this Preston game they were they were creating chance of, not chance after chance but they were a threat um, getting into that final third Chris Willock um, should have scored uh, earlier on in the game before obviously Dunn scored um, but we saw a lot of positives that maybe we saw under Beal uh, and it was just it was just exactly what was needed a clean sheet 1-0 win away from home and it just relaxes everybody a bit because I know the, the form got everybody's tensions up at QPR well when you lose four games on the bounce prior to this mm-hmm. I think Critchley would have been happy with anything so a win is a great result away from home and he only kept two clean sheets in 10 games as well prior to this so I don't think supporters could have asked for anything more from this especially because Preston only had one real good chance that I can recall mm-hmm. in this game. So plenty of positives here. Someone I wanted to single out for praise is Sam Field in midfield. He's had an excellent season for QPR. Even when things haven't been going as well recently, he's really stood out for me. Very much the destroyer in this QPR midfield. And up until this weekend, he had the most tackles and interceptions combined in the championship he has been playing out of his skin for QPR. And this game is a perfect example of him dominating midfield, getting the ball back for his side so they can go on another attack. And for me, he's probably be, probably been QPR's player of the season. Without a doubt, their most underrated player, but player of the season as well. And other players have shined on occasion, but he has been ever-present all season and I think will be an important player for Neil Critchley going forward. Justin, how concerned should Preston be about their home form, just three wins from 12 at Deepdale this season. It will be the difference between them finishing in and out of the top six. It could be the difference between them finishing um, either in the bottom half or the top half. Um, it's really, really poor and just seven goals at home as well. Um, it looked like they were turning a corner. Not the case. It's um, it's a weird one, isn't it? I, I always find it strange that some teams prefer to play at 
away from home than they do at home. Perhaps a style of play suits it more. Um, and that was certainly the case with Preston because of how good they were against Blackburn last week. You know, they were they pressed incredibly well against a possession based team. And they were they were so so good and dangerous, and everything fell for them because they were creating good opportunities. They were putting themselves in those um, uh, those uh, situations. Wasn't the case here. It almost felt you know, it was a toss of a coin at what Preston team you're going to get. Um, but I do I do think it highlights the need to improve this team in January, whether or not Lowe gets the funds to do it. Um, but for me, yeah, we saw a team that could finish in the playoffs last week, but we saw a team that won't finish in the playoffs this week, if that makes sense. Final thing on this game. Have you seen the clip of Tim Sherwood's commentary on yeah. the game on Soccer Saturday? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, QPR's Andre Giselle does a flying tackle on a Preston player in the box. Sherwood is like, it's a penalty. It's got to be a penalty. That was until Clinton Morrison pointed out that Andre Giselle, a QPR player, committed the tackle in the Preston box. Great stuff. Just then, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Birmingham's win on Friday night and Swansea coming from three goals down to draw against Coventry. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast on Friday night. Birmingham beat Reading 3-2. Troy Deeney scoring twice. Birmingham were 3-0 up, but I felt that was a bit harsh on Reading, really. I didn't think they were actually too bad here. And a one-goal deficit felt a bit more justified for me. But I came away from this game once again marvelling at how brilliant that Birmingham midfield is. Bielik, Chong, Medri, and even Janino Bakuna getting involved as well, Mm -hmm. Justin. We've said it before, but... That is an incredible amount of talent in the middle of the park, isn't it? Well, if you if you look at the the Birmingham team as a whole, it's, it's very industrial defensively and in attack, isn't it? It's, it's very industrial, but then there's such a a nice flair to that midfield, which just balances it out almost perfectly. Because I mean, that's what you want. You want players who are going to work hard, tackle hard, defend for their lives in the final third. Then you want just, you know someone like Troy Deeney, who's a battering ram in that. Um, uh, in the attacking third uh, and then in the midfield there's so much grace and poise and composure um, it's a really really nice balance in that team and I do think that if there's just a little bit more quality in that in that um, in that team that this Birmingham team under Eustace will will be pushing for the top six it's, it's quite simple it's just that that lack of um, lack of quality in certain areas but that's not a criticism it's just the reality of their financial situation they can't they can't go out and bring too many players in but this this performance was was absolutely fantastic and as you quite rightly say it highlighted just how good that midfield three is it's brilliant yeah Jude Bellingham was presented on the pitch before the game would he get into this current Birmingham midfield <laughs> maybe if he works hard in training he might have a claim um it is such a talented group of players there isn't it they're all so comfortable on the ball which is a far cry from the days of last season where they had even Sonjic and Gary Gardner in the middle of the park. Um, I, I firmly believe that Birmingham signed those three players after we did our league table predictions just to make us look silly because those three are game changers, aren't they? Without them, our prediction for them to go down may very well have actually been looking more accurate. But now it doesn't look like there's any chance of that happening, does it? Because they are just three marvellous players who... And I mean this with no disrespect, should be playing for teams higher up the league, really, shouldn't they? Uh, got to give some praise to 
Troy Deeney as well, scoring two here. Sky was saying that it was his 600th appearance. I had it down as his 597th, but still a great performance by him. As I was alluding to at the beginning of this, Justin, I didn't think Reading were actually too bad here. Birmingham, just very clinical. Yeah, I think Reading controlled the game. And I think, that, yeah, as you quite rightly say, Birmingham were clinical in that first half, which put the game beyond Reading. Um, they did enough, I think, Birmingham to yeah to, to, to put the game. But they... They um, they kept John Rudy very busy. He earned his money um, on Friday night because there were so many chances. Even Birmingham going one look quite early. Yaku Mate had a really good chance um, shortly after that. And I just think it's a testament to just how Paul Lynch can get his team to just carry on going. Because I think last season they'd have lost that 3-0, not been in the game at all. Um, this season they've got a little bit of fight about them. But I do, I do think Reading will come away a bit disappointed that they weren't able to, to get anything from it, uh, as, you, as you say. Maybe the scoreline flattered Birmingham a bit, but there's certainly a lot of positives to take from it. Lucas Shaw getting back on the score sheet is, main, is a massive one as well. Yeah, Tom Hintz had a good game too, as did Mamadou Loom. Swansea came from three goals down to draw three all with Coventry. A very Jekyll and Hyde stat this for Swansea, Justin. No team has won more points from losing positions than them this season, but that's because Swansea have conceded first in 14 out of 23 games this season. No team has a poorer record than that. They've had two big problems this season of Swansea, failing to put away chances and conceding first. In this game, it was the latter, which was the big problem. Yeah, they're a weird side, aren't they? Um, because we were praising them last week at some of the chances they were creating against Norwich. Um, but I was looking at, looking at this game in a little bit more detail and how quickly Coventry managed to turn over in possession and get into that final third quickly. I was just a bit surprised, um, and maybe that's one of Swansea's issues. They're, they're such a good possession-based team, but if they lose the ball and they come up against a team who are on it, Coventry City are one of the best counter-attacking teams in the division. Um, they get turned over very quickly, and that might be one of the, the, the main issues. And it's just something that Russell Martin needs to work on. It's not a big issue, but obviously, if they're conceding first in the amount of games that they are doing, um, they're making it very difficult themselves. And they're a team that do create a lot of chances, but at the same time, they've got players who have been missing them as well. Um, so yeah, it's just um, it's just complete. It just feel like they're just stubbing their foot on the the coffee table, walking through the lounge, uh, you know, almost every game, which is frustrating. The pain goes away eventually, but you're still pissed off that you did it in the first place. Quite a good analogy, I suppose. I think maybe we are guilty of this ourselves, Justin. But maybe one of the reasons why we think Swansea look quite a good side is because they are a goal down. And when you're a goal down and you knock in mm. on the door, teams can sometimes look better than they are, if you see what I mean. And yeah. because they managed to come back so many times after going behind in the first place, the lasting impression is that Swansea actually did quite well because that was recency bias. It was the last thing you saw, Swansea yeah, being true, the better true. team. So maybe that's something we're guilty of ourselves, but a great comeback You've got to question why they're making it difficult for themselves. Uh, Joel Pirro did get on the score sheet, just his second goal in 10 games. Let's pray this will be a big confidence booster for him because he's missing some big chances um, in recent weeks. And we know he's capable of better, don't we? Mark Robbins will be very disappointed to have thrown this away. He even said they were great up until the point they conceded the first goal and then just capitulated. He also spoke about injuries after the game. Cal McFadzin is now going to be out for three months, meaning they've only got three fit centre-halves. They're also light up front because of a couple of long-term injuries. Now, of course, January's coming up, but Coventry, in their current situation, have their hands tied behind the back, don't they, because of this impending takeover, as well as losing their recruitment team just a matter of weeks ago. 
They could do with a few extra bodies to flesh out the squad at the very least. Ross Stewart scored on his return to the Sunderland team. They drew one all away at Hull despite being down to 10 men for more than a third of the game. Elliot Embleton was given a red card after leaving the pitch on a stretcher, which is not the kind of get well card he was probably expecting. <laughs> I will point out he wasn't getting the red card for leaving the pitch on a stretcher. It was actually for a 50-50, which happened prior to that. But we wish him all the best in his recovery. A great finish by Stewart for the goal. One He's one-on-one with the keeper while it's bouncing up and down. So the keeper's expecting him to try and lob it, jumps in the air, but instead Stewart just tucks it underneath him which was a very clever uh, the kind of composure Sunderland have been missing though isn't it I don't think mm. it's an overestimation to say his return is a game changer for Sunderland because Roster is an unbelievable number nine he can score all types of goals with his head with either foot across into the box ball over the top I mean 26 goals in League One last season doesn't just happen by a chance does it and he's carried that form into this season with six goals in eight games but it's not just his goal scoring, it's his hold-up play as well. And Sunderland lost a focal point without him in the team and it impacted results. And it was such a shame when he got injured because of his own form, but Sunderland's form too. So hopefully they can pick up where they left off. It says a lot about how good a player he is that he's been attracting interest from Middlesbrough, despite him being injured for the last three or four months. So if he stays, it's going to be a very exciting second half of the season for Sunderland because you'll have him... Ahmad Diallo, who's been in great form recently too, and a supporting cast of young, really talented players. And they could be a really dangerous side, Justin. Yeah, you're looking at Sunderland and thinking six months, 12 months time, they're going to get, they're just going to get better and better and better. Whether or not Ross Stewart stays, obviously his his contract, um, he's got 18 months left because he's got a a year option in his contract and he's been linked with pretty much every team in the north, it seems. Um, (laughs) Um, but he, you know he's a brilliant player, and he he, um, he he finishes off that sort of front four of something really really well because it's just you know it's something that we've been missing. And Ellie Sims has done a, a good job, but you know he's not as experienced or as clinical as Ross Stewart is. And I mean you've got someone like Alex Pritchard, Ahmed Diallo, whether it be Patrick Roberts or Jack Clark on the on the other on the other flank. There's a lot of opportunity for goals there, um, and if you've got someone who's clinical like Stewart he's going to easily hit double figures and he will easily hit double figures this season. Um, it's just about keeping keeping him fit and if they do that, Sunderland will, will edge more games quite easily. We talk about great strikers. One of those who's really not in form right now is Hall's Oscar Stupinan missed from the penalty spot. Really bad miss as well. He's got one goal in 14. His lack of confidence really hindering Hull, isn't it? Stoke came from a goal down to beat Bristol City 2-1. Now, we completely forgot to mention Stoke as well as Cardiff in last week's episode. I apologise for that and promised that we'd have a deep dive into both their games in this episode, which is why it's a massive shame that I don't really have much to say on this game. Stoke, a very unpredictable side, aren't they? Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're really not. <laughs> sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. That's I, I, was gonna, I was considering <laughs> saying that, but... <laughs> There you go. You've done uh, it anyway, Justin. That, yeah, that, um, I think that's a, the, the best way you can summarise Stoke because that was literally their game here. They were terrible in the first half, much better in the second half. Liam Delap's hitting form, which is a massive, massive um, positive because he's he's now looking dangerous. Um, and you know he took his goal really well, but he's, he's he's building upon that form, and I think that's good for good for Stoke because their conversion rate with their forwards is absolutely dreadful. Um, Jacob Brown took his goal incredibly well as well. So yeah, much better second half, but Bristol City, I think you're always in a game against Bristol City because the amount of points they drop uh, from leading positions. So yeah, it's just about building upon that. I don't think we can properly judge Stoke until they manage to record some 
positivity um, inconsistent, uh, consistently. Or find some form of form because it's very inconsistent at the moment. But I do think Alex Neal is starting to get to grips with this squad. It certainly looks a lot more balanced when Harry Souter and Josh Tymon are back in the team. Could do with a couple of players adding in January because despite him scoring here, Jacob Brown at right wing back mm-hmm. still feels a bit square mm-hmm. peg in right hole in round hole. So yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure about that one. But one win in seven for Bristol City now, Justin. They sit eighteenth, three points above the bottom three. You worried at all? I am a little bit. Um Pearson's post match press conference was um interesting to say the very least. He's pretty much saying he doesn't trust some of the defenders that missed out in that game. He's playing Andy King um uh, in a central position of their back three, it's it's not it's not a good look really. They've got good experienced players, but they can't seem to keep hold of leads. Um, I really don't know what's happening, and I really don't know what um, the Bristol City hierarchy seeing Nigel Pearson. I don't want to sound too harsh, but um, I don't think Bristol City will hit their potential until they until they um, until Pearson leaves. And as I say, I think Pearson has managed under good uh, has managed under constraints. Um, he has managed in difficult circumstances, and he has guided Bristol City through a really important transition from a high spending area to one that is more sustainable. But now I think they're at a crossroads, or even you know they've gone beyond the crossroads and they've gone in the wrong direction. I think they're past that point where they needed to um, move on from Pearson. Uh, I do think there's there's a manager out there who can get more out of this team because there's good players, but this performance again we've seen a hell of a lot this season. We saw it a hell of a lot last season and the season before that under Pearson. Um, it's just frustrating. It's really frustrating because I see the potential in them. Um, I want more out of them. I'm glad you're finally coming around to my way of thinking about Nigel Pearson, <laughs> but it, I can understand why he doesn't trust the centre-halves just because they concede so many goals but at the same time Andy King at centre-half one of the Stoke goals comes after hitting him on the back when another centre-half would have just headed it away and then it's fallen straight to Delap I think it was so Mm -hmm. that was a bit odd and it it does seem a bit odd pursuing with King at centre-half but I mean, they've been conceding goals anyway, so not much is changing with that uh, decision, is it? Cardiff 1, Blackpool 1. Cardiff, the other team we forgot to mention in last week's episode. Don't worry, Cardiff fans, we've got a lot to say about your side in the news section. (laughs) I will praise that assist by Callum Robinson for the Cardiff goal, though, Justin. That was incredible. He's such a good player, isn't he, when he's on it? He's so good. He, He can be... Um, I wouldn't say one of the league's best, but he can certainly be up there um, when he's when he's firing uh, and in form. And if he's got players around him who are confident as well in linking up, um, he's a he's a really frightening prospect. And that's why I'm surprised West Brom allowed him to leave so cheaply, one and a half million pounds, um, because he's guaranteed goals and assists, isn't he? Um, but his assist for Atete was fantastic, and it's great to see Atete on the score sheet as well because he's been biding his time and he took his goal really well. Um, and I think if he gets more games, he will. He will, he will score goals. Um, I think the, the frustrating thing here, Cardiff were wasteful once again. They created chances, but they were wasteful and arguably should have been playing against a team who were down to 10 men as well. Well, the thing is with Robinson, I feel like Cardiff rely on him quite a lot, not just for creativity, but scoring goals as well. There's a big burden on him mm. for basically everything that Cardiff have got. And you could be as talented as anyone really, but when you're the only one who's really contributing to you know, what your team provide offensively. It's, it's a lot to ask for one single player, but that was a moment of brilliance from Robinson. 
he could do with getting some players in in January to help him with that offensive side of things, which we'll get on to very shortly. Uh, Gary Medine failed to score in three seasons for Cardiff, so of course he scored against them right here. He was a bit lucky to still be on the pitch, mind you. Could have very well been sent off before that, as you were alluding to, Justin. Uh, one of the games we were meant to be talking about in this episode was Luton v Millwall, but that's been postponed because of a frozen pitch at Kenilworth Road. And the final game of this weekend is Wigan v Sheffield United, which is on Monday night, and we'll discuss that in Thursday's episode. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Cardiff have been placed under a transfer embargo which is due to last for three transfer windows. It's over the club's failure to pay the first instalment of the transfer fee for Emiliano Sala. The Court of Arbitration for Sport ordered Cardiff to pay French side Nantes. The first instalment is equal to just over five million, but Cardiff chairman Mehmet Dorman says we haven't paid and at the moment we have no intention of paying. He also says he's confident the club will be able to lift the embargo before the window and they're in talks with the EFL and FIFA to resolve the issue. Justin, a messy situation which is only becoming messier. Uh, I think that just sums up the Cardiff ownership quite nicely actually. They've um, allowed a situation to escalate uh, to this point where it's going to severely impact um, their ability to stay in the championship. Um, I mean, it's 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 just a mess. It's just a mess, and I think that the Cardiff ownership have a lot to answer for for it. Um, and that no intention of paying it speaks volumes um, uh, as well. And this registration ban, um, my understanding is because it's from the Court of, Arbitra- Court of Arbitration of Sport. Uh, it's complete registration ban, similar to Chelsea's, um, where they can't sign anybody. Um, they can't sign free transfers and loans. That's my understanding of it anyway. Um, which a championship club with a high turnover of players and an academy unlike Chelsea's, for example, where they're constantly um, bringing through good players um, to that level anyway, they're going to they're going to find it very difficult to to not have a transfer window for yeah basically eighteen months. It's it's a frightening um, scenario to to find themselves in. The issue is, and it's probably not our place to debate it, whether Cardiff should have to pay this money. But if the Court of Arbitration for Sport have looked at it and decided Cardiff have to pay, then Cardiff have appealed that decision. But that's been rejected as well. I don't think Cardiff have got a leg to stand on. And I I don't see how Cardiff can avoid this transfer embargo without paying unless they know something that we don't. And that brings me on to the next problem, Justin, which is Cardiff don't have much money. They're in millions and millions of pounds of worth of debt. So that brings about questions around how they're going to pay this if indeed that is what they're forced to do. So it's very messy. And you've got to keep in mind the tragic circumstances in which this has happened mm. in the first place, which makes the whole thing rather sad, really. But looking at it from a purely footballing perspective, this embargo would last until the summer of 2024 which, when you put it like that, is such a hammer blow for Cardiff. And I said before that Cardiff are a club rapidly going in the wrong direction. And if you keep going in the wrong direction long enough, you will get relegated. And this news, unfortunately, makes that all the more likely, doesn't it? It could very well be this season, because I imagine Cardiff were very keen to bring players in this January. And they're one of a number of clubs at great risk of going down, and their rivals will be able to strengthen while... They won't be able to if the embargo is upheld. It's yeah, well, that, I think that's the thing as well, and the uncertainty. I think when, when you consider the appeal process, I read that um, the appeal because they've obviously appealed the decision once again. Um, 
that's not going to there's not going to be a decision on that until uh, end of January, early February, um, which rules out this January transfer window. Basically, rules out this January transfer window in terms of bringing players in, unless there's some legal miracle that they can get around uh, or, or or deploy, um, which again is unlikely. Um, if you consider from Mark Hudson's perspective as well, how is he going to convince players to come into Cardiff? On a maybe, we might be able to sign you. We might not. It's it's an impossible situation for him, and I feel for him because he's in a position where he needs to add two or three players to this team. If he doesn't, I think they can be dragged into a relegation battle. I don't think um, I don't think that can be um, ruled out. Um, it's a it's a really sorry dire situation for all parties, and it's partly mainly down to um, really poor decision making at the top of the club. Let's move on. Sheffield United striker Ollie McBurney has been cleared of assaulting a fan during a pitch invasion. It's in relation to an incident which happened during the Championship player final, uh, semi-final, second leg against Nottingham Forest in May. McBurney always denied the allegations and said he tried to hop over the victim and the judge at Nottingham Magistrates said the prosecution hasn't proved their case to the required standard. Sheffield United say they're pleased. McBurney says he's over the moon but not sure how it got to trial in the first place. He also says... He will say a lot more when the dust settles and the truth always comes out in the end. Watford have made two signings. 19-year-old Brazilian Matias Martins had been playing for Fluminese and will officially join the Hornets when the January window opens. Now, the strange thing about this move, Justin, is Watford haven't said who he's joined from and Fluminese haven't said who he's joined so we don't know whether Martins has joined Udinese and been loaned to Watford or whether he's at Watford permanently. And it just muddies the water even more with the relationship between Watford, <laughs> Udinese and the Pozzo family. I mean, if it was a massive problem, then EFL will look at it because third uh, third club or uh, multi-club ownerships are becoming more of a, a thing. You know, Barnsley have, have utilised it, uh, Leicester have, um, obviously Watford, there's Manchester City as well. Um it's been utilised, and obviously, if it does become a, a, a an issue, because uh, I do think Watford are a bit more flagrant with it, um, a bit more uh, open and obvious with it uh, than other clubs, um, then uh, then I think some rules can be put in place. Um, but again, I, I don't really have an issue with it. I think the vagueness of this transfer probably is a, is a good thing, just to avoid people um, running their mouths on it. I think maybe. I just want to know what we can put on his Wikipedia. Who is he on loan from? What club is he at? Is he on loan? <laughs> we need answers. Wikipedia needs answers. And the other signing Watford have made is former Cardiff midfielder Leandro Bakuna, who's been a free agent since leaving the Welsh capital in the summer. It was funny because I saw loads of Cardiff fans saying Bakuna must have the best agent in the world. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a massive surprise um, because he's always left... A lot to be desired, I think, in a championship. Um, a, a massively frustrating footballer would be the one. Um, but then you consider Janina Bakuna, who's had a similar career uh, to, to Bakuna, a frustrating player, but now he's looking really good at Birmingham. So maybe Watford will tap into something with, um, with Leandro. He's very much in the category of capable of doing something brilliant, but lacks the desire to do it enough. And the best, my best memory of him is fighting his own teammate when he was at Cardiff a year <laughs> or two ago. Watford have signed him because they need midfielders due to injuries. How much will he play? I don't know because when everyone's back fit, as well. I, w- I won't be relying on him at wing back. <laughs> um, when everyone's fit, I don't think he'll be anywhere near the first team. So 
it may just be a stopgap for the next few months. Elsewhere, Millwall have confirmed the signing of 19-year-old forward Adamo Imaku from Shamrock Rovers. Here's some injury news. And Hull winger Dimitrios Pelkas has been ruled out for three months with a knee injury. He was seen as one of these marquee signings for Hull over the summer, but hasn't had too much of an impact. Is on loan from Fenerbahce, so we'll see what happens with that one. Huddersfield forward Tino Anjurin has been ruled out for the long term after needing surgery on his ankle. He hasn't played yet for new manager Mark Fotheringham after being out with glandular fever before the World Cup. There's now doubts over his future at the club with him being on loan from Chelsea. Look, Huddersfield have been rubbish this season, but they've also had some terrible luck with injuries, haven't they? Mm -hmm. I suppose when it rains, it pours. Yeah, they need need to recruit some creative players because I I think... um, I think you can look at the lack of goals and go, well, strikers aren't scoring. They're not getting any chances. And I think Anjoining would have contributed a lot more into that final third. I don't think it wouldn't be too much better, but it was certainly, they'd be a lot more productive um, in open play anyway. So yeah, they need to get to January and and, and try and recruit. Obviously, whether they do that or not, I, I don't know, but they, they have to, they absolutely have to. Now, some potentially interesting news for Coventry City's stadium situation. It's been reported that the rugby club Wasps, who previously owned the CBS Arena before going into administration, will be playing their games at the home of Solihull Moors next season. Now, the reason that's interesting, Justin, is because from Mike Ashley's perspective, he's not going to be making much money from this stadium if he doesn't have a football club or a rugby club playing there, is he? So, might have a bearing on what happens with that particular deal heading into next season. Has he Mike Ashley himself? Has he done the reverse Mike Ashley? But he's, See, he's... the thing is, Mike Ashley, as as much as he's, you know, jested about online, he is quite a clever bloke. And I yeah. think he has this all in mind. I, d- I just don't know because there's no, there's no logic to it, is there? There's no logic at all to um, to the tactics he's deploying. He needs a football club. And I don't know, a rugby club wouldn't make as much money as a football club. But he needs some sporting club in there. I don't know. Can you get a pub team to play there? But it's about 150 quid a pitch for in, in Derby. It's going to cost a lot more than that at the uh, CBS. Well, from his perspective, he can say to Coventry, well, I need to make some money from this. I'm going to double how much you're paying to play here. And Coventry have either got to you know, pay that or go play in another city, haven't they? And that's mm. why it's a bit of a stinker of a situation for Coventry. And finally, Charlie Austin's a free agent again. He's decided to leave Brisbane Raw in Australia after six months. He says it's best for his family that they come back to the UK. Justin, how long before he's at Reading? You know what? As soon as this came about, I was like, oh, he's going to Reading, isn't he? He's going to Reading. Uh, I think Paul has already spoken to him. He's, yeah. 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 I think it's he was being linked with happen. them in the summer anyway, but it just seems like... That move is destined to happen. Uh, Justin, let's do some polls. This is the part of the show where I ask the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. The first question we asked was this. Which of these strikers would you most want to have at your club? Jokeres, McBurney, Stewart or Yates? McBurney's a goal scorer and a shithouse as well. Um, So I'd go McBurney, um, but Jokeres maybe as well. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tight one. I'm heading a bit towards Stewart. I don't know if I'm just suffering from recency bias there. I don't know. 62% of people said Jokeres, 20% said Stewart, 14% said McBurney, 4% said Yates. Now, if your current manager got sacked, would you take Dean Smith as a manager at your club? Yes or no? I, I would. I, I rate him as a coach, but um, 
the Norwich spell could really harm his chances of getting another job, I think. Um, uh, uh, one of that, uh, the size of Norwich anyway. I think he'd be a good appointment for the bottom three quarters of the championship because he's a good manager, Inti. It's just, I feel like the Norwich job is is a bit of a too big job for him. Uh, 75% of people said no, they wouldn't take him. 25% said yes. And finally, who's winning the World Cup? We're recording this before the World Cup final. So the chances are, if you listen to this, you probably know the winner. Um, just in who you say. It's, it's, it's a head-heart thing. You know, head says France, heart wants Argentina. You just want to see Messi lift that trophy. But I've got to go practically. And France have shit out of their way to the final. So I can only see him doing it again. 66% of people said Argentina. 34% of people said France. I, I'm desperate for Messi to win the World Cup. I don't know. I, I'm a Messi fan. I, I always think he's the best player ever. And I've gone into uber Messi super fan over this World Cup just because I'm just desperate for him to win the bloody trophy. Uh, right, now it's time for this. Did Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? What's this? Diddy or didn't he? On a weekend episode? Not quite, ladies and gentlemen. We're playing Diddy or didn't he, but with a twist in this episode, Justin. What I'm going to do is name you 10 players, and you have to tell me whether they've played in the second tier or not. What do you think? <laughs> Theoretically, it should be easier. <laughs> I don't Theoretically know. should be. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. So your first one is James Milner. Did he or didn't he? Well, it's just whether or not he was at Leeds. He stayed at Leeds when he got relegated because you know, it's Leeds, Villa, Newcastle. Or the other way around, Leeds, Newcastle, Villa. Um, so I, I don't think he did. I think he got picked up the summer Leeds got relegated. He spent the whole of his 20-year career in the Premier League, apart from one loan spell to Swindon in the third tier. So you're correct, Justin. Uh, one out of one for you. Next up, Joe Cole. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, spell at Coventry. Um, a really random spell at Coventry when they were in League One. But again, he, he, West Ham got relegated, but that might have been when he joined Chelsea. But I'm going to say no, he didn't play in the Championship. You're correct. He had a loan spell at Coventry, but that was in the third tier. The only time he's been outside of the Premier League in England. Next up, Brad Friedel. Did he or didn't he? That's a hard one. Because um, I can't, I don't know. I, his career's weird before Blackburn. Um, I'm going to say yes, he did. Just a guess. Yeah, he got promoted with Blackburn from the oh, second tier yeah. in 2001. So correct. You forget that. You forget Blackburn were in the. Uh, Championship at one point. Weird. I mean, they're in the championship right now. Uh, James oh, Ward-Prowse, yeah. did he or didn't he? <laughs> uh, no. I don't think he did. He was just breaking into the Southampton team when they were in the championship, but never made a second-tier appearance. I think he did play in the Cup when they were in the championship. So you're very fluky on that one. Uh, four out of four. This is going very well. Next up, Harry Kuehl, did he or didn't he? That's a hard one. No, I don't... No. No, no, no. He, he might have had a loads of but I can't recall it. He was too good a player to play in the Championship. You're correct. Made it up. Never played in the second tier. So five out of five. Stephen Ireland, did he or didn't he? Oh, he's a hard one. Because um, he might have made like three appearances for someone. 
Uh, yeah, maybe Villa. I reckon. No. Oh, he played for someone random. Uh, I'm going to say yes, but I don't know who he played for. He went on loan to Bolton when they're in the Championship, but he never played for them. Mm. So he didn't play in the second tier. That's the first one you got wrong. So five out of six. Next up, Mark Albrighton. Did he or didn't he? I recall a loan spell from Villa at uh, someone. Um, but again, I don't know who. So I might just be making it up, but it feels like he should have crossed path, crossed the pass with the Championship at some point. You're correct. He had a loan spell at Wigan in the Championship in 2013. Oh, Otherwise, he's been in the Prem his whole career. So he's had a pretty decent career, to be fair to men. Six out of seven. Kieran Dyer. Has he ever played in the second tier? You mentioned in players who... Some players, anyway, who have really sketchy injury records and may have had three appearances before they just go, ah, oh, no, fuck it, I'm going to retire. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just a peach instantly realising that he has uh, said a naughty word but you know what we're an adult podcast we'll keep it in um, Kieran Dyer yes yeah 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 got in yeah yeah for Ipswich yeah he had a fleeting loan spell in Ipswich towards the end of his career and then a spell at Middlesbrough in the early 2010s so correct seven out of eight next up Phil Jones did he or didn't he no no he didn't um Again, I think Blackburn got relegated and he got picked up by Man United. Yeah, Blackburn were in the Premier League when he was there. So you're absolutely correct. That means eight out of nine. Here's your final one, Justin. Mika Richards, did he or didn't he? I think he made like four appearances for Villa before, you know, I mentioned, oh, F it, I'm going to retire. I think that's what he did. Four appearances for Villa under Steve Bruce, I reckon. He was at Aston Villa for three seasons while they were in the Championship but only managed two appearances in that time. So you are correct. It blew my mind when I watched a video of him the other day and he revealed that he's still only 34, which is Jesus. incredible. He should still be playing. Um, yeah, he was 31 yeah, when he retired. So, I mean, remember how good he was when he was early 20s as well. He's like Trent Alexander-Arnold being retired now and being a pundit yeah, in his. In terms of how good they those two were at their respective ages pretty mad uh, but there we go it's been the second tier podcast before we go just a quick warning for listeners that we are approaching the infamous festive period which causes havoc with the fixture schedule and more importantly causes havoc for our recording schedule so just a bit of a heads up that really that uh, over the christmas and new year period we won't be following the usual schedule of sunday thursday episodes they'll be coming out as and when there are games we'll let you know at the end of each episode over the coming weeks when the next one will be consider that our gift from us to you uh, over the christmas period but uh, we will be back to sunday thursday episodes in the near future luckily for you we have got a thursday episode coming up where we'll be talking about the game on monday night between wigan and sheffield united and a game on Wednesday, which is Coventry West Brom. I think it mm. is off the top of my head. So we'll talk about those games, look ahead to some of the Boxing Day games and any news that happens over the coming days. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. Have a Merry Christmas. We're doing another episode before. Oh, that, yeah. That's yeah. no, true. I'll be just in peach. And a big thank you for listening. <laughs>